right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. I want to take a minute right off the bat and say hello to our family who's joining us right now over at the South Campus and all of our family joining us online, whether you're still at your spring break campus, uh, we're missing you. And a special shout out to everybody at the Upshur County Jail. I want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. Come on, North Campus. Let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. Grateful that you're taking some time to be with us today. Uh, before I get into the series and in the message today, I want to give you just a little bit of an update. Uh, several weeks ago, we took some time in our services and we prayed over the situation that's going on in the Ukraine and we told you we were going to be sending some resources. And so I wanted to give you kind of an update on what's been going on on our end. Uh, first of all, we have been praying, as you know, there's a, a lot going on with war and there's a lot of displacement and there's a lot of confusion and hurt. And so we've been not only praying, but we've been sending resources. And many of you have stepped up and have given as well, where we've been able to send tens of thousands of dollars. But I want you to know where it's going. So we're not just sending it to humanitarian aid places over there. We, are, we have a relationship uh, with a missions organization that for decades that has been working in this area with churches on the ground. So they have long-standing relationships with churches, not only in the Ukraine, but on the perimeter in Poland and in Hungary that are getting many of these refugees. And so we've been sending resources through this missions organization to many of these churches, and we've just been hearing some great reports on what's been happening because they've been able to house a lot of people, they've been able to feed and water people, provide transportation and clothing, but more importantly than all of that, they've also been able to share the message of Jesus with them. So the gospel is going forward, even in a time of crisis and in a time of pain, People are very open to the gospel when their world has been turned upside down. And so I want to encourage you to continue to pray for the situation there in Russia and Ukraine and the people that are suffering there. Pray for the believers to be strong. Pray for the churches. There's a lot of churches that are being disrupted and enacted. I even heard of pastors being put in jail even recently. And so Pray for these churches, pray for these pastors, pray that all of the resources that are going to these churches, not just through us, I know other organizations, even locally, that are sending to churches there as well, that the message of Jesus continues to go forward because in the middle of darkness, light will shine. And so we're just praying that the light of Jesus continues to shine in these people's dark days that they're facing. So continue to pray for that, but I wanted to give you an update on that. Uh, and I'll give you more as we know more in the future. But... We're in a series here, uh, if you've been with us or if you're new to us, called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And it is based on a book by a man named Jack Hayford, who wrote a book called How to Live Through a Bad Day, that's examining the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. Seven statements that he made in what you could consider maybe his worst day or one of the most painful days in history on that, what we would call Good Friday. I mean, you know, it wasn't good for Jesus, and it wasn't necessarily good for the disciples. It's good on this side of history, but it wasn't good in that moment. And what Jesus said on the cross gives us a lot of powerful insights on how to get through our most difficult and painful moments in our life. And what I know to be true, and what I've mentioned to you every week, is that everybody has bad days. Everybody has either gone through one, maybe you're in one right now, or you're going to go through one. So we want to look to Jesus. We want to look at what he said. And, and that's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so 
As we're enduring in this life, we're looking to Jesus how he endured through the pain of the cross to get insights on how we should endure in this life. And so if you've missed it, I want to just quickly tell you the two phrases that we've discussed already. The first one that Jesus said on the cross was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we talked about how to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. And the reality is, is forgiveness is the first step to getting through any painful days in your life. You have to forgive not only once, but you continue to forgive to keep your soul clean and your heart clean so that you can continue to do what God's called you to do. So Father, forgive them was the first. The second one last week that we talked about was, today you will be with me in paradise. What Jesus told the criminal on the cross when he was hanging between the two criminals, and we talked about how to help others that are in the same struggle you're in. And many times God allows us to go through things in order to help other people who are going through that. And so let me encourage you, if you missed them, go back and give those a listen. But today we're going to go into the third statement that Jesus made on the cross. And this one is found in the book of John. Remember I told you that they were across the four gospels. This one is found in John because John is one of the people that Jesus was speaking to when he made this statement. And John, if you've ever read the book of John or anything John said in scripture, he often speaks very well of himself. He would refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking in the third person about himself as he's writing about himself. Now, John was very close to Jesus. He was a part of the inner circle. He was a part of those three of Peter, James, and John that would go to the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus when he was praying, that would go to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. So he was close to Jesus, right? There was a a deep love there. But I almost think John did this just to get on Peter's nerves. Because if you know in scripture, Peter and John were kind of in competition. They were racing each other at times. They were always worried about what about him and what about, you know. So I think that it was kind of like brothers, you know, talking about their parents. You know, well, I'm the one that the parents love the most, you know. So it would be like me coming up here and talking to you today and being like Stephen, the one whom Jesus loves the most, is going to talk to you today, you know. But that's basically what John was doing. But he was very intimate with Jesus. He's the one who would recline on Jesus at the Last Supper. And he talked a lot about the love of God. But in John chapter 19 is where we find this statement. John 19, 25, while Jesus is on the cross, says, standing near the cross were Jesus's mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's a lot of Marys here. So if your name's Mary, you must be close to Jesus. Uh, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, there's John again, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took care of her in his home or took her into his home. There's a powerful statement that is made here that in Jesus's pain, in his difficult moments, in his dying moments, he was looking around and looking out for those who were closest to him. He was looking to these four women at the foot of the cross, and he was looking to John, and he was making sure that he was taking care of them because Mary was in a lot of pain as well. Can you imagine being the mother of Jesus, watching this brutal sacrifice happening in front of you? You know, if you have kids that watching them go through any pain is already challenging, but Mary would watch him be beaten almost to the point of death and be hanging on a cross and feel helpless to be able to help him. This was nothing new. Mary actually knew this day was coming because it was prophesied in Luke chapter 2 from a man named Simeon in the temple that after Mary had Jesus, they took him to the temple with Joseph and, and 
uh, Simeon prophesied in Luke 2, 34 and 35 when he said, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but, will op- but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Man, if that's not true. But then he says this, and a sword will pierce your very soul, speaking to Mary. He's saying, Mary, you're going to experience these incredible things, but you're also going to experience incredible pain. It was foreshadowing of her watching him suffer and die in this moment. You see, Mary, here at the foot of the cross, in Jesus' painful day, also in her painful day, was a widow because most believe that Joseph had already died. You don't hear much about Joseph. Many people believe that when Mary and Joseph got married, Joseph was actually quite a bit older than her. So she's a widow here at the cross and it was the oldest son's responsibility to take care of their mother. So here Jesus being the oldest son, the firstborn child of Mary on his most painful day, making sure that he was taking care of his mother. And this incredible, powerful statement reveals to us that when we're going through a bad day or painful seasons of life, we must be sure to take care of those closest to you. In your pain, be sure to take care of the people that are closest to you. See, I think that the people closest to you often feel the pain the most. It's the family members, it's the friends who are very close to you who we actually, not only are they feeling the pain that you're going through, but sometimes we actually take it out on them. We, we actually kind of unload our pain onto them, right? Let me give you some examples maybe you can identify with. You have a bad day financially. Maybe the stock market crashes or you get a pay cut or you find out you have a large bill you weren't expecting and you get home and all of a sudden your kids are like, can we go out to eat tonight? And you're like, go out to eat? No one's going out to eat. We're never eating out again, you know? In fact, we're fasting the rest of this month. All of you were not eating again, right? So you start unloading that pain on, on them, right? Because you were, you were finding out some bad information. Maybe students, you had a bad day at school. Your teacher got on to you. You failed a grade or failed a, a test and, and, and you had some shr- struggles at school and you come home and all of a sudden you begin to isolate and talk back to your parents. And now your parents are feeling the pain of what you were going through at school. Or maybe all of us have experienced something like this. You had a bad day at work. A coworker snapped on you. Your boss said something you didn't like. Maybe you didn't meet the standard you thought you were supposed to meet. And so you're frustrated at that person that's been getting on to you at work constantly. So you, you're just ready to snap. So you leave and you're just like, I hope somebody says something to me. Like, I hope a car cuts me off. I hope somebody does something. Because you can't take it out on your boss. You can't say anything to them. You're probably not going to say anything to your coworkers. So you get home and you unload on your family. They're feeling the brunt of the pain that you're going through. Maybe, maybe that's not true for you. Uh, but I know in circumstances for me, I've, I've had a difficult day sometimes, found out some bad information, and, and I get home and, and the kids... Stuff is in the garage. There's like a car, I mean, there's a bike in the place where I'm supposed to park. And so I pull up and I'm just getting, this bike is always here. They don't care about this bike. I should just run over. I just get mad. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to throw it out. And then I'm mad at the kids. I come inside and I'm complaining to, the, to my wife about the kids. And I find out she just bought something and it was something we needed. But I'm like, you're spending money again. And, and all of this just kind of compounds and we begin to unload. Maybe I'm the only person that's ever done that before but I have a sneaking suspicion I'm not. <laughs> Some say, you're not. Thank you for your honesty in church today, sir. 
But the reality is, is in our painful moments, we project this pain onto the people closest to us. And the Bible actually talks a lot about taking care of the people close to you. It talks about how to treat the people close to you and your family. One of the most powerful passages in the Bible to me that shows this picture of this back and forth is in Ephesians 6, verse 3 and 4, that talks about if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. This is a promise. And you will have a long life on the earth. And then in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. This is a beautiful picture here of honoring and not provoking. I always tell my kids, listen, as long as you're in my house, that's when you have to obey me. But honor is forever. I don't have to obey my parents anymore, but I will always have to honor them according to Scripture, right? So there's this picture of of kids honoring parents and then parents begin to honor kids and there's a picture of fathers not provoking their kids to anger by the way they treat them if you're having a rough day or you're frustrated don't take it out on your kids because you provoke them to anger and then they'll provoke you back to anger and it creates this cycle so when you honor you receive honor when you don't provoke they won't provoke and there's this cycle and picture of caring for those closest to you in your own household what i've found is that we can often be the most careless with those that we're supposed to care for the most. We say things to our family members we would never say to other people. We treat our family members sometimes way worse than we would treat anybody else in public because there's a familiarity there. And that familiarity makes us feel somehow justified that they should just be able to take the brunt of what I'm dealing with. And that's not right. In fact, the Bible speaks pretty strongly in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about this. 1 Timothy 5.8 says that those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Why so strong? Because people are supposed to be able to look at the way you treat those closest to you and see the way God treats those closest to him. And if they see you treating your own family horribly, what is their picture of God? You've denied the true faith at this point is what they're saying. So it's very important that we take a look at how we're treating those closest to us and we're not taking our pain out on them. In fact, Jesus' example to us on the cross gives us this incredible direction of what to do in our most painful moments of life. So how can we or what can we do to make sure that we don't take it out on everybody else? Because there will be a temptation to do that, right? So what can we do? I'm going to give you some things here that we can do to make sure we don't take it out on everyone else around us. The first one is to identify the real pain. Because oftentimes when something happens, we don't identify the real pain, we begin to think that, I mean the real problem. We begin to think that people are the problem. We begin to think that our family is the problem. We begin to think that our spouse is the problem. We begin to think that our kids are the problem. Maybe even your best friend is the problem, right? That we, We don't identify the real problem. Now I'm not a person that thinks that There's a devil around every corner and that under every rock is a demon messing with you. But I do think it's probably happening more than you know. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that there is an enemy who does not want you to have healthy relationships in your family. There is an enemy who wants you to think that your spouse is the problem, that your kids are the problem, that your friends are the problem, because he wants to divide and conquer. He always works through disunity. So what he'll try to do is he'll use your pain points in life, he'll use your pressure points in life to make you think that people are the problem. He'll turn your job into the problem, money to the problem, the government the problem, and and you'll misidentify people as 
the problem. Not realizing that the scripture also says in John 10, 10, that the thief came to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he wants to destroy every healthy relationship around you because then you'll isolate and you'll become prey to the enemy. And when you treat those closest to you terribly, you push them to, at a distance and then you're left alone when you need them the most. This is a plan of the enemy. And when we misidentify people for our problems, we allow small things to become big things. We allow small pains to become big pains. And we make mountains out of molehills with what they're doing. Now, because you did something so small, it's something real big because I'm in pain and now you're the problem, right? That's real quiet over here at North South. Either I'm hitting home or I'm not. But, but this is true, right? Here, here's an example. In your pain, sometimes you come home and a messy house becomes a messy marriage. And now all of a sudden, it's her fault. All of a sudden, it's his fault. A pile of clothes left on the ground, which is not a big deal, turns into you did this on purpose because you don't respect me, because you don't love me. And so now this small thing has become a big thing. Pain at work, a bad employee that you've been dealing with becomes bad children at home. They didn't do anything, but an employee that won't listen to you at work becomes, my kids never listen to me. They're always this way. And we start generalizing things and things that are small pains or small problems get blown up into big pains and big problems and we begin to take them out on everybody else. Don't let your bad day ruin everybody else's day around you. Don't let the pain you're in ruin everybody else around you. Sometimes, this is just what I do, Sometimes when I'm coming home and I'm in that processing part of the day where I've experienced something difficult, maybe I got some bad news, maybe I had to deal with the pain of, of somebody else that they're going through and I'm, I'm feeling their pain, I'll just come and drive around the block one time, give myself a minute to, to calm down in my mind to process this. I'll sit in the garage sometimes for a little while in the car before I get out. And if I'm real spiritual, I'll pray about it. And that's what I should have been doing the whole time, right? <laughs> But sometimes you, you don't feel like praying, and, but that's what you got to do in that moment. But sometimes I'll just sit there in the car because I don't want to go inside and transfer my bad day onto all of my family and make them feel the pain that I'm going through. It's normally just a bad day, not a bad life. And you got to get that into perspective, right? It's normally just a painful moment. It's not a painful life. Bad days come and go, but the people closest to you will be there after this day is over, after that painful moment has passed and how you treat them in it really matters. So we have to identify the real problem. Here's the second one, right? This one's a little bit harder. Avoid pity parties. Who doesn't like a good pity party? I mean, we all like a little bit of a pity party. When you're going through something, you want everybody to know what you're going through. Oh, it's so hard. And we tell everybody how bad it is. And we, and we start letting everybody know about this painful situation that we're in. We want them to experience it with us. My mom used to sing me this song, and uh, she's over at the South Campus today. So I don't know who sings it. I don't know what era it's from, but it was a song that she used to sing that said, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> it's my party, I'll cry. You would cry too if it happened to you, right? We're justifying what we're doing. Yeah, you'd cry too if it happened to you, you know. But this is true. We all like to have a little bit of a pity party. Why? Misery loves company. If I'm going to have a bad day, I want you to be in my bad day with me. If I'm in pain, I'd like you to be in some pain with me, right? We've got to avoid the pity party. You've heard this phrase. I'll say the first part. You can finish it. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Now, I'm not picking on mamas because the same is true of dads, right? If daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Why do we have that statement? 
Because if you're going through a bad day, we often transfer it to people. And everybody walks around on eggshells and is like, don't make dad mad. Don't make mom mad because, you know, she's going to tell us about how bad it is again. You know, it's a big pity party. It's not the healthy way to do it. But we, we're supposed to protect them from our problems, not project it on them, right? I was thinking about a story this week I heard from a pastor years ago. His name was Bill Hybels, pastor at a really big church. And Bill talked about how he didn't hide his stress well. When he would go, be going through pain or something or, or stress or frustration or having a, a difficult day, he would want everybody else to experience it with them. So he'd be going down the hallway at, at the church and one of the employees would walk by whistling and he'd, he actually said one time, I'm not paying you to whistle. And he was like, that's when I realized something was wrong. I'd be like, yeah, yes. they're just having a good day and you're ruining it, you know. And he, and he realized, I'm trying to bring everybody else to experience my bad day with me. And so what he was doing was he's casting his stress onto them. He was putting his cares onto them, which is the opposite of what 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, to cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Cast all of your worry, cast all of your problems onto him, not onto those closest to you. See, when we're having a pity party, we want to cast it onto them. We want them to know, we want them to experience, we want them to join in. But it's often the cares of the world that cause the tension in our relationships because we're bringing everybody else into this problem. We're having a big pity party that makes them suffer as well. I put it this way in my notes. When you cast your cares on people, you lose the people. But when you cast your cares on God, you lose the cares. We don't want to make everybody else experience the pain we're in. We'll eventually lose them. They'll quit, they'll quit wanting to be around. They'll quit wanting to be around you because they're like, oh, I'm going to have to go deal with this again, right? But when you cast them on God, you lose the cares. He takes them if you'll give them to him. But I've seen too many people lose those closest to them because they're constantly bringing other people into their problems and pain and not in a healthy way, but in an unhealthy way. You got to cast them on God. You got to leave them there and say, I'm not going to have a pity party during this time. I'm going to let God be the one that deals with it for me. Now, on the other side of that, because sometimes in the avoidance of the pity party, we go to the other extreme and we go inward and we get silent. So the third thing we have to do is we don't isolate, we communicate. Don't isolate, communicate. Sometimes when we're going through difficult things, we don't communicate about it. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows how to help you. They just know something is wrong. And they probably know because you're giving them the silent treatment. And you're just walking through the house. Someone talks to you. I'm sorry, what? You know, you just isolate. And, and I know that I've done this as well. I, I've gone through something in, in my not wanting to project the pain or the, the difficulty that I'm going through. I'll just go and I'll hibernate. I'll go to my room and, and sometimes people will just veg out on TV and watch Netflix for hours trying to get rid of their thoughts, trying not to be in that moment. And they're like thinking, they're, I'm going to escape from what I'm going through by turning to this. Or they just, they just go to bed. And this is the beginning of depression. When you isolate and you don't communicate about what's really going on inside, it's the beginning of anxiety problems. It's the beginning of depression. It's, it's the beginning of you getting all alone in your problems and nobody knows what's going on. Then one day you're going to explode. We can't isolate. And I know when that happens, I've disconnected from my family. I end up disconnecting from the people who care about me the most, the people who love me the most, and the people who would want to help me the most. 
So we have to communicate about your pain, but not from your pain. And there's a difference here. Sometimes we get this confused. So this is the opposite of a pity party. Communicating about your pain is letting someone know, here's what I'm going through. Communicating from your pain is projecting that pain and hurt onto other people. You respond out of the hurt. You respond out of the problem versus saying, hey, here are the feelings that I'm feeling. Here's the situation that I'm going through. But then you communicate, and this is not your fault. This is not... This isn't you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not frustrated at you. I just want you to know what's going on on the inside so I don't disconnect from you, so I don't isolate and listen to the lies of the enemy during this time. It's very important because the people closest to you, if you'll communicate in a healthy way about it and you don't isolate, they actually will want to help you in this. They actually will pray with you. They'll actually come alongside you and help carry and shoulder that burden. Not that you're dumping the problem on them like a pity party does, but instead you're, you're inviting them to pray with you and they'll come along and shoulder that with you. That's actually what the Bible tells us to do in Galatians 6 too, when it says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. This is what we're supposed to do with each other, with family, with the family of God. Now I threw three in there too, because I think it's, it's, uh, I just love when the scripture speaks clearly. It says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> None of us are too important to help somebody else, right? Especially those closest to us. But if we want them to shoulder this with us, we have to communicate in a healthy way. We can't isolate. We can't dump it on them and be like, this is your fault. We've got to communicate in a healthy way and allow them to come alongside of us. To help us. And this is why we always tell you it's so important that you get into life groups. Because you need relationships that will shoulder the pain of life with you. That will help come alongside and carry your burdens. And you can carry their burdens as well. This is the way it works in a family and in the family of God. Is that you're not in this alone. That you weren't meant to do life alone, right? This is why we always tell you get into these kind of relationships. You don't have to tell everybody, but you need to tell somebody. You don't have to go out on social media and broadcast all of your problems. I think that's a pity party. But you do got to find somebody and say, hey, I need you to pray with me over this. Hey, I'm feeling some pain in this area. I'm having a difficult, I'm going through this struggle and I need someone to come alongside me. People are more than willing to help if you'll just share with them in a healthy way. So we want to identify the real problem, right? We're not going to have a pity party, but we're going to communicate about our pain to someone And then in the middle of our most painful days and our most difficult moments, this is the last one. This is what we have to remember to do. We have to keep coming to the cross. This is where you find Mary and John in this dark day. They didn't run from the pain of the cross. They ran to it. They didn't run away from Jesus. When all of the other disciples, many of the other disciples and his followers, they abandoned him. No, they ran to it in the middle of their most painful moments. And here... Jesus was telling John, now you're going to get a new mother. And Mary, you're going to get a new son. And we see that there would be a future secured here, that brokenness was going to be healed. Things that looked fractured were going to be put back together. And Jesus revealed God's provision in this moment for a lonely and broken heart. He looked at Mary and he knew what she was going through. He knew her pain. He knew her grief. And he made provision for her in that moment. You see, what happens at the foot of the cross is Jesus puts people together and he puts people back together. 
this is what was happening in this moment. I've heard this said, and I, I read it somewhere, that families are forged at the foot of the cross. Families are healed at the foot of the cross. Families are restored at the foot of the cross. This is the picture of what was actually happening in this moment, that Jesus was putting Mary and John, who were not blood relatives, together now as a family, not based on blood, but based on love. It was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen with you and I, that our family was going to be forged at the foot of the cross because of the blood of Jesus, that we may not be blood, but based on love, we're now family. He was making provision in the darkest of days for those he loved the most. And this is why it's so important, by the way. This is why it's so important that you get your family in the house of God. This is why it's so important that you keep coming to the house of God because this is where the family of God is, right? Those who get planted in the house of God will flourish, the Bible says. But you keep bringing your family to church because you're modeling for them where to go in their painful moments, where to go in their pain, where to go in their struggles, what to do when they don't know what to do. You go to the house of God. You go to the foot of the cross where you find healing, where you find strength, where you find forgiveness, where you find family. You're modeling to them, hey, keep coming to the cross. Keep coming to the house of God. I don't have all the answers for you, but I'm gonna show you where you need to go. And they'll watch you. Your friends will watch you. Your family will watch you. Get them in the house of God. Get them at the foot of the cross. Teaches us where to keep our eyes, where to look in the middle of our pain. That's what we started with, right, in Hebrews 12. Where do you look in your pain? Where do you look when you don't know what to do? You look to the cross. You look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we started with, but I want to read it to you in the message paraphrase. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. That's what we're doing, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, or whatever. And that's what I want you to hear today. When you keep looking to Jesus, when you keep coming to the cross, you can put up with anything in this life. And what Jesus did for Mary in that moment, he wants to do for you. What he did for Mary in that moment, he wants to do for you. He wants to give you a new family. He wants to, give the broke, he wants to heal the brokenness in your life. He wants your future to be secured. And so today, if you're hurting, if you're broken, come to the cross. If you need family, come to the cross. If, if you're going through struggle or pain, get your eyes on Jesus. Come to the foot of the cross. And I thank God that not only did Jesus model for us how to take care of those closest to us, he took care of us in his most painful day by what he did on the cross. Amen. So what I want us to do, how I want us to end this time together is I want us to stand and I want us to take a minute and we're going to put into practice the very things we've been talking about here. We're going to take some minute, a minute and we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to worship him one more time. And I know, I know today that there are people that are going through some difficult things. I know today there are people who have some anxiety, have some worries, have some cares, have some heaviness. And before you walk out of here today, I want you to give it to Jesus. I want you to cast it on him. I want you to come to the cross and say, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm not picking it back up so that I don't go and take it out on everybody else around me. I'm transferring my pain to you. He can handle it. He wants it. He wants to help you through your difficult days. He's already made provision if you'll just bring it to him today. 
So before we leave today, I want us to take a minute and I want us to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I want us to look to him and say, God, I give it to you. So wherever you are today, don't walk out of here heavy. Let's take a minute and cast our cares on Jesus. Let's refocus on him and let's worship together as a family. with us church God I look to you and God I look to you Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We want to come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.